it is a distinct pleasure to get to see and hear so many people participating in so many ways. I'm really enjoying it, aren't you guys? Thank you, Linda, so much for leading us in worship again. I did, I've known you for a long time, but I didn't know you could sing and play, so that's, a, that's good. I can't really do either. I just carry tunes in buckets and know a couple of chords on the capo, you know what I mean? So I'm always awestruck by people that can do it all, uh, like here, Miss Elliot, uh, just, man, that was great a couple weeks ago. I just, I really do enjoy worshiping, and I know that a lot of times people have different views on what worship should look like and how it should be, and um, I just love that we have an opportunity here in our church to have different ways of doing that together on Sunday mornings. We have some that will reach one segment of our community, one that will reach another segment of our community, and as long as we're lifting up Jesus, it really doesn't matter. And so it's just a pleasure to be able to worship with you guys, and I enjoy both services so much, and I just uh, thank those who participate in leading us every week. Um, I, I just want you to get ready to worship now through the Word. If you'd open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to continue um, our series um, through Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, this four-week series to know and be known. Before we get there, though, while you're turning in your Bibles to Ephesians 1, I want to remind you of a couple things. One, on your way out today, don't forget to pick up your uh, card, these little cards. I know it's a little far away for a lot of us here. It says, what would Jesus undo? And the little red line in there is actually one of those bracelets that people used to wear that said, what would Jesus do? Remember those WWJD bracelets? And so you, we're, we're going to help people remember what would Jesus do, but also what would Jesus undo? As was stated in the, in the video earlier, if Jesus came into our church, our home, our lives, what would he undo? What would he change? What would he make different? And so use this to invite your friends. Uh, it might be kind of catchy for them. Invite folks that may not come to church regularly and uh, give them one of these cards as a reminder for what's coming up. We'll be doing this for the next six weeks. And then I want to talk to you about... Um, Two problems today. One problem that the text itself is going to address for us. Before I get into that, let me talk to you about another problem that we have as a church. Um, I know you hate hearing bad news coming at you, but this is kind of a good problem to have. And so I want to throw this at you and ask for you to consider uh, to pray over what God wants us to do about this problem. I'm going to pray specifically about what God might want you individually to do about this problem. Now, I know that some problems are bad news, but this is a good news problem. We have so many kids come into our children's worship during this hour and at 830 that we don't have enough volunteers to help us out with those kids. Isn't that a good problem? Yeah, amen. That's a great problem to have. In fact, our preschool worship is busting out the seams so much, we're about to divide up into two preschool worship uh, rooms for different age groups. Uh, there's just so many of them. And what we need is some folks that are willing to come and do what they call extended care, which basically means during the 8.30 service and the 11 o'clock service that you would give up one Sunday every couple of months, if we have enough volunteers, every quarter, one Sunday, where you don't worship with the adults, but you go and worship with the kids. Okay, so I'm not saying don't come to worship. I'm saying go worship with the little ones instead of worshiping in here. All you have to do is like hang out with the little kids and help them stay focused or help them to like do what they need to do. And really what they're going to do is they're going to be a part of God's work to move in your heart while you lead worship with them. You don't get in front. You just stand with them and help them worship the Lord. Now, some of you may think, well, I'm too old for that, or I don't know what I'm doing in there, or I'm too young for that, I've never had kids before, or, or whatever. Let me tell you, all you've got to do 
is to love the Lord and worship him and do that with some little folks. And you may say, but I'm not little. They don't want me. I'm like, no. Little kids always want to be with bigger people. Always. And we need some bigger people to help us. We need some help. We need about 15 to 20 volunteers to help us. If we have that many, we can probably set you up once a quarter, four times a year, that you would worship there instead of worshiping here on Sunday mornings to help our little ones love the Lord. So if you would consider doing that, call our church office, talk to Karen, let her know you'd like to participate in our extended care program, or you can talk with Tracy, the one that was just up here earlier. Uh, you can talk with her, and I just want you to do this. I don't really care what you think about it, honestly. I want you to pray about it. And if God tells you to do it, I don't care what your reasons are to not do it, right? Well, you need to be obedient. And if God doesn't tell you that, if he says, no, you better not because you are the last person needs to be being in that room with those little kids, then you need to listen to him doing that too, okay? But you do what God tells you to do. And he may already be working in your heart now. Talk to Karen, talk to Tracy, and let us know how you like to serve. We need your help. All right, y'all ready to get into the word? Good, good. Y'all are much more alert and alive and awake than our early service. It's my first time asking that, so I won't ask twice. Let's jump into the word, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Let me start off by saying this, though. Our second problem we're going to talk about today is the problem of power. We oftentimes have a problem of power in our churches. It's about who's in charge of what. It's about what I can get out of this, what I can get out of that. It's about trying to tap into the power of God and the power of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit to get what I need. And I think oftentimes we have messed up, we've missed the boat, we've messed the train, we are not on the right channel, we have miscued, we don't understand that what we see in Scripture about who God is, to know Him and to be known by Him, is that we have taken some things somebody told us that do not line up with Scripture, or we've taken some stuff we were taught in one Sunday school and taught wrongly by an innocent maybe person that was just trying to help us, or maybe we've heard it in a preaching time before, or maybe we just thought we read something, or we've heard a colloquialism, but we get confused and we start to put things together with what we do know about God from His Word, and things that aren't from His Word, and we create this kind of false God that we worship. Okay, and the problem is a lot of times that we try to tap into the power of God to get what we need in our moment or what we want. Today, the Word of God is going to tell us, this is God's self-revelation, He's going to tell us about real power and about what it means for us and how we should know God accordingly and worship and love Him because He first loved us. And so let's look at this Word and see what it has to say about that today, remembering that all of this comes from verses 3 and 14 before, where Paul just worships the Lord. He worships the Lord. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That he's given us everything we could possibly have spiritually in Jesus. And then he proceeds to unpack that through verse 14. And in verse 15, he kind of comes up for air from that worship. He kind of comes back to us, and he begins to talk in such a way to enlighten our understanding of how he is praying for us, for God to actually open our minds, open our hearts, to understand and worship rightly. Let's pick it up there, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's what he's praying for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Pause there and see what he's saying. He said, I'm praying that God would give you the Holy Spirit and that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, not just to know all things or to know some kind of prophetic thing that's going to happen, but in the knowledge of him, to know God. Now, that word know, as we've been talking about for the last several weeks, does not just mean intellectually to know, it means to actually relationally know God. It's deeper than just knowing him up in your mind about who he is, right? Just like our spouses would not be happy with us if we were to just know them intellectually, we need to know them relationally, right? You can rattle off all the character attributes of your spouse, but if you don't relationally have an ongoing get-to-know-you kind of time, it is not good for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we need to understand this knowledge is the same way. He says that you would have a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And he talks about that because the heart was known as the, the seat of the emotions, of the will, of the drive, of the desires of life, uh, of everything about who you are was driven by the heart. And so he says, the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, that you would see rightly, that you would desire rightly, that everything would be put into place that you would understand rightly and desire and hope rightly. He says, so the eyes of your heart being enlightened, and then he breaks that down, how we know God this way into three pieces. One, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And three, where we're going to be today, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me ask the Lord to carry us through this time. Father, please give us insight. Help us to understand your word. Lead us down the path to understanding what real power is and what it means for us and that we would rest in the knowledge of who you are and love you and know you rightly so that we might be known as well. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look at this with me. Let's break it down, all right? Look at verse 19 on where we're going to be camping out. Just remembering this is one of three parts to understanding this knowledge of God, to know him rightly. And he breaks it down in the last bit. He says this, and he wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, of God's power, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Look at all those big words about strength and power and glory. Look at it, verse 19 again. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? That means that his power is so big it is not able to be measured, right? That's why, as I am a person that respects science and thinks it's a part of life and that God has given it to us as a truth of general revelation, that's why I know that you can't find God through science. You can find evidence of God in science, but I know you can't measure God and put him in a test tube with a scientific method because he is immeasurable. He is beyond. Us finite creatures cannot measure an infinite God with our testings. It just can't happen because even just his power is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. 
Just that part of his power is immeasurably great. He says, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He says, the immeasurable greatness of his power, dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite from. He talks about the, the, the power toward us who believe according to the working or according to the great energy is where we get our word energy, the Greek word energe there, the, where we get working of his great might or strength, right? All these words about power to get the point across. Yet remember, when you're reading and studying the Bible, if something is repeated, we're to pick up on that and think that's important. You understand? That's why when you're up really late at night and you can't sleep back in the day and you heard the Ginsu knives, it slices, it dices, it does this thing, Ginsu, 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 Ginsu. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Those Ginsu knives, the reason you know that is because they say Ginsu like five million times in a 30-minute little ad, right? And so when God says something here in multiple ways saying the same thing, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, this is noticeably to point us to the fact that this is beyond our full understanding. That he is that great, that good, that wonderful, that powerful is the big word here. But I think we have misunderstood about this power so much that we need to put things in perspective. So let me put a few things in perspective for us as we get going. Number one, this is not our power. This is God's power, right? This is not our power, but God's power. I'm going to do something I didn't do with the early service, if you would bear with me. Go back to Ephesians 1, verse 3. This is a lot. I'm, I'm expecting that you could hang. Okay, if you can't hang, just tell me later that you couldn't hang and it was too much. Here we go. Verse 3 on. Let's, look, I just want you to notice who's doing things here, right? And then we're going to get to verse 15, and we're going to pick it up again. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, him making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite, for him to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined by who? By him. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of my will. No, wait, it says his will, right? Again, his, it's all him, according to his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who's the sealer? God is, right? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? You're not the guarantee. The Holy Spirit is, right? To the praise of his glory. Then Paul drops out of that worship. Got to be spinning a little bit. Got that tingly going on. You know what I mean? When you get to that point, you feel like, whoa, this has been worshipful, right? And then he turns around and he goes, for this reason, church, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. There's what he's praying, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the knowledge of him. That God would give you and me. Praying, God, give them this because we need him to do it, right? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. If you don't know your English grammar stuff, having the eyes of your heart enlightened is a passive thing. It's just happening to you, okay, from God. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, listen, that you may know, he's praying for God to let you know what is the hope to which he, he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So he's the one working, right? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. Not that we worked, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It is not our power. It is his power. Amen? It's his power. He is the all-powerful. He is the immensely powerful, the immeasurably great powerful one. He is. Not Oz, not us. God is. We get it. He is the all-powerful one. It's not our power. It is also not a power that we tap into to get what we want. That's called idolatry. That's using someone to get something else. Okay, nobody likes that, right? Do you like that? Somebody does that to you? I don't like that. When somebody just kind of befriends you to get the thing they want from you, that's using somebody. You know what I mean? That's not good. But we do it all the time as a default mechanism for us. God, if I just, man, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do good, and maybe, maybe he'll take this away from me. Or I'm going to do this thing and he's going to overcome for me. That's not the way it works. You don't use God and placate him to get what you want, right? We don't tap into that power. This is a power that is exercised on your behalf. It's exercised on your behalf. And he, it's verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? It's power that is exercised on our behalf by God. Secondly, this power is not for everyone. Let that sink in for a second. It's not for everybody. Now, is it sufficient for everybody? Most certainly. Is it available to everybody? Most definitely. But it is not for everyone. Everybody doesn't get this power. He clarifies, he puts a caveat. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So toward us, he's talking about Paul's talking to the Ephesians, but then he puts that little extra part that says toward us who believes, that includes us. We are believers. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you truly have turned your life over to him, that he has bought you with his blood, that means you are those who believe. That means that power is for you, but it's not for those who don't believe. That's a little bit hard. Look, Let's put that power in context here. He says it in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now he raised him from the dead to bring a people home that were captive to sin and he brings captivity captive back home with him. See? So he has purchased a lot. 
Those whom he has chosen, whom he also predestined, that he also called, that he also is saving. We see all that in Romans 8, Romans 9. We see it in Ephesians 1, 3, 3, 14. All that stuff, those big words sometimes we don't like. Sometimes they make us feel uncomfortable. But the point being that he's doing the heavy lifting. Do we still have to repent and believe? Of course we do. But he calls. He changes the heart. He gives you the faith. It's a gift from him. And then we believe on Jesus. Listen, it's not for everybody but when it happens to you, it is everything, right? Here, 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 Spurgeon, I would not quote him if I could get away from it, but I don't want to not give him credit, right? He just says it so well. He says this, listen, now learn this and know it, that in the conversion, preservation, and salvation of any one person, I'm going to break this down. He says, learn this and know this, that in the conversion, when you were born again, when you first believed on Jesus, when you became a Christian, when you were saved, when you were made alive, when you were dead before and now you're alive, when you're in your conversion, and in your preservation, the fact that you keep on being a follower of Jesus. Remember, that's in God's hands we've been talking about lately, right? That God holds you there. That he said, anybody in my hand cannot be plucked out, right? You were his, perseverance of the saints. He says that in the conversion, preservation, and salvation, but that doesn't just mean when you come to faith. He's talking about there in the end when God comes back and takes you home, and that is the end of that salvation because you're his. No more in this place without him. No more sin to deal with, right? So he says, now learn this and know it, that in the conversion, preservation, and salvation of any one person, God exhibits, listen, as great a power in those things as he manifested when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Did you hear that? The same amount and greatness of power is exhibited in your salvation, in your preservation, in your glorification as was exhibited in bringing Jesus up from the dead. Same power, same working, same application. What happened 2,000 years ago by God's powerful working hand, bringing Jesus out of the grave to life forevermore, right? The same power today happens in you and carries you and delivers you to him, the same power. You have the same Holy Spirit living in you if you are his, and that power resides in you, but it's not yours. And it's not there for your purpose. It has a purpose. It's not there for what you want apart from God's will. It's there for what he has deemed necessary, right? And he goes on and he says this, the salvation of no man in the world is by his own strength. It is by the power of God, for we are his workmanship. This fact should greatly relieve you who are discouraged. The thing is impossible with you, but it's not impossible or even difficult for God. He that has made us alive in Christ is God, and he is quite as able to work in you. God can do all things. Look, this is the greatest power in all of the universe. Immeasurable power in all the universe. Nothing and no one can escape this power. Nothing and no one can overcome the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. He doesn't say God's immeasurable greatness of his power towards the creation. He says, towards those who believe. That means if you have been made alive, it's because God reached out and made you alive, bought, paid for, sealed, signed, will be delivered because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And the same power that raised him out of the grave is the same power that raises you up and makes you new. That's good stuff, brothers and sisters. That is real power. Because, you know what, we can do all kinds of powerful things in this world, but none of us can take a dead person and make them alive. None of us can take a soul that is dead, asleep spiritually, and make it alive. But God can. 
the same power that raised Jesus from the grave can save you and me. In Christ, God has won the victory, brothers. Sisters, there is no more concern there. Death has no hold on Jesus. Therefore, it has no hold on us. Sin has been overcome. The enemy has been defeated. No more. Done. That's power. The one who had power over all the earth. No more. No more. Go back and look at these verses, 19 and on. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Listen, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There is no power that is above the power of Christ. None. None. None whatsoever. So let us pray like Paul. Let us pray that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may know and experience the hope to which he has called us. We may know and experience the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That we may know and experience the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Man, if we knew that, it would change everything, right? If we experientially lived in that, it would change everything. And here's the best part. The work is finished. It's been done. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. The work is completed. God has overcome. Long live the king of glory, Jesus, because the work is done and he's alive and death is dead. The death of death is found in the death of Christ. And the life we have forever is found in the resurrection of Jesus. That we have that because of him. So I'm going to give us a few things to hang on to. Are you ready? Here we go. Just three of you, but we're going to catch up. Number one, so Lord, here's our prayer. Let us know and experience your great power over death. Acts 2. Peter's preaching. Applies to us. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't plan B to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This Jesus, you crucified, he says, and killed by the hands of lawless men. And we go, man, he's preaching it hard to those people there, right? 2,000 years ago, Peter's like preaching. As soon as Jesus has come and then back to life and he's going up to be the father, Peter gets up and preaches and 3,000 people come to faith right then and there, right? But man, he's nailing them. They put Jesus on the cross. You know what? A lot of those people that he's talking to did not put Jesus on the cross physically. They did not call out for Barabbas instead of him. They weren't even there. He's preaching to them saying this just like he would look at every one of us in the face and say the exact same thing. Listen to it again like he's talking to us and then wonder. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The reason that we are guilty of that is because our sin placed him on the cross. We all have a hand in putting him on the cross because we all have sin that he bore for us on the cross. So he had to go there because of you and me. And if he wanted to save just one of us, that one of us would have put him on the cross. But he wanted to save all of us. So all of us put him on that cross. So listen again. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Listen, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you hear that word? 
It was not possible. Do you get, do you get that? There was no chance that death was going to win. It's impossible. God is too immeasurably great in his power. There was never a chance. The enemy is insane because it never was going to happen. You know, it's, it's like that kid that keeps thinking they can do that one thing they can't do, and they keep trying and keep failing. You know what I mean? It's like us, the one thing we think we can accomplish, and we keep messing it up, like being perfect. Don't think you're not like that. We are, aren't we? We keep trying over and over and over again, and you know what? We can't do it, but Jesus did it for us because it could not hold him. Death could not hold him. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Same power will raise us up. That is good news, brothers and sisters. No matter what happens, we'll be with the Lord if your heart is his. When you despair, turn your eyes to our resurrected king and know his power. When you suffer, set your heart on the one who suffered in your place on the cross and experience his great power. When you hurt, set the eyes of your heart on the king of the universe who experienced the greatest of pain and suffering in our place on the cross so that we might experience the joy of his salvation. Man, that is good stuff. Lord, let us know and experience that great power over death. Secondly, Lord, let us know and experience your victory over sin and Satan. Your victory over sin and Satan. Look at this, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness? He's praying that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this stage, but also in the one to come. Look, the enemy is vanquished. Sin, defeated. There is no more control over you. Sin has no power over you anymore. You can tip your hand into that if you want. You can eat from the slop if we desire to do so. You can turn your eyes back. But just as we look down upon those who struggle with addiction and we say, well, man, it's such a horrible thing. I can't believe they go back to their drug of choice and keep falling back in that thing. We keep running back to our sinful selves over and over and over again and giving power to sin that has no power over us. Brothers and sisters, power has been removed. It has no power. We give it power by running back to it because we get our eyes off of Christ. Man, how would we be different if we would just set our hearts on Jesus? But we can't. So we pray that God would do it in us, right? The power is Christ. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery from which you've been set free, brothers and sisters. Do not give yourself over to those things. Man, the enemy is vanquished. He holds no sway over us. Why do we give him power by going to him? Why do we give the sin in our lives power by leaning into it? Fight your sin. And the way you do it is by running to your great warrior savior who's already defeated it for you. Man. He defeated both sin and Satan on the cross. Let us live in the victory he won us on the cross. Death has lost its sting and sin has lost its savory sweetness. When you know and experience the life-giving salvation of our Savior, sin loses its luster. The problem is we forget all too quickly, don't we? We forget all too quickly and we run back to the things that 
so easily entangle and draw our hearts away from the Lord. Now look, you don't want to admit it for everybody. I get it. I do that regularly. My eyes get clouded. I get distracted by the world. I get tired and my eyes come off the king. And I act in ways that are not what I want to be. I have to continually repent to my family, to my kids, and tell them I'm sorry and I was wrong and, and try to turn and turn back the way to the Lord. And the way that happens is by repenting, stopping, confessing, turning away and turning back to the Lord. God, help me. Help my unbelief. Because it's a belief issue. And what if we reveled in the joy of our master instead of reveling in the junk? What if when we struggle, we cast our cares and our anxiety at the feet of our Savior? What if we set our eyes of our hearts on the beautiful and glorious face of King Jesus and know and experience the freedom that he purchases on the cross? What a different life we would live if we would just know and experience God's great power. Like he's worked it for us in Christ Jesus, his son. What a different church we would become, brothers and sisters. Go back and look at this, verse 22 and 23. You may think, man, all I got to do is rest in the power. That's right. And then see what it leads us to. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. So God put all things under his son, Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the, you know, church. As head to the church. I'm going to break it to you. Some of you think, I'm not the head of the church. Chris, our chairman of deacons, is not the head of the church. Jesus is the only head of this church. There is no other head but Jesus. And the moment somebody feels like they want that power, they are out of step with Jesus. I can tell you, I'd much rather come in and just sit in a pew and sing some songs and not have to be anywhere in leadership. But if God calls you to leadership, there's nowhere else you better be because you will be miserable by not responding. Just like if you don't serve when God calls you to serve with these little kids, right? <laughs> Weave it in there somewhere. <laughs> Look, I am telling you right now that we, you, you don't want somebody that wants power because Jesus has the power. What we want is the Savior who's got all the power. If somebody wants the power, that's the wrong person. We want the person that wants to submit to the power, who is Jesus. And he's already done all the work 2,000 years ago. But Lord, would you let us as your church know and experience your fullness you who will feel all in all. Look at this. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. It's not even just our body. It's his body. It's not my body. It's not my faith family all alone. It's his faith family that I've been adopted into. You get it? It's his body. Look what he says. This is a really weird statement, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't that a weird statement? Say it again. So, he, gives, he puts all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Isn't that weird? So the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. I don't even know what to do with that the first time I read that, the tenth time I read that. You know what I'm saying? So let me try to give you my best shot at it after studying and praying and studying and praying and looking at other scriptures. Here, here's, here's what I think is going on. When he says, which is his body, the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all, what I think it means here is that he's saying that we as the church, when we are living in these ways, when we are, when we are knowing, 
What is the hope to which we have been called? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? When we, we, when we know those things, when we are experientially seeing that in God, worshiping him, enjoying him, loving him, reveling in him, that we then are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are filled by the one who fills all in all. That we are just overflowing with grace and mercy and love because we are overflowing with face-to-face time with Jesus. You get it? That we are filled by the one who fills all in all. And then we become the fullness of that. We who are the body, the church. So when we are living like that, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are enduring the grace and mercy that just drives us to love him more. And then we are the fullness of the body of Christ. And that's when we are who we're supposed to be. Man, what would it look like if we lived in those ways? What would it look like if we really were understanding and knowing experientially, intellectually, heart-wise, what is the hope to which he's called us? That we lived out the hope, man, like really knew the hope. We were hoping in him constantly. What would it look like if we were experiencing the riches of his glorious inheritance? We already get Jesus. We've got the inheritance. Remember back in verse 3 where it said in chapter 1 that Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we've already got all those blessings in Jesus. What if we were experiencing that now and knew that now and seeing that and tasting that now and not just later in the inheritance time, but right now? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And even clarifies, not for the little things he does, but according to the working of his great might that he worked it past tense, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his heavenly places and put him over all things, right? That power that's already been done and laid forth has done everything for us. We need no more power. We've got Jesus. We've been saved. All that's been paid for needs to be paid for. It's been paid for. We have it all in Christ. What a different church we would be if we were filled like that with those things. Man, we would be a different place. We would know and experience the power of God as we seek to know him and make him known. Our faith family, this church could be used by God to change our community, to change the world. Maybe then, brothers and sisters, maybe then, man, maybe then we would be a place of refuge for the tired and the weary. Maybe then we'd be a place of healing for the broken. Maybe then we'd be a place of salvation for the lost and the lonely. We're really being the fullness. If we're really seeing all those things, we will just overflow with not morality top notch. We'll overflow with confession of our inability and of his greatness and of his ability that he accomplished 2,000 years ago and his power, our hope, the riches of his glorious inheritance, Jesus. And it would change everything for us. Lord, would you let us know and experience your power for your glory and for your son, Jesus' fame? Man, why don't we pray this prayer every day throughout the day? Lord, give us these things. Let us know you this way. Let us adore you and worship you because you adored us so much that you gave us your son, Jesus. It would change everything. That's power. That's power. We don't often think of that as power. We often think of power as strength and might, not as humility and as sacrifice. But the good part is, the story doesn't end with the humility and sacrifice. It ends with resurrection. 
And it goes on and it puts forward, and we see in the very end, it comes back with warrior Jesus. Now, I know some of you don't care about thinking about warrior side of things too much, okay? I'm not going to say if it's man, woman, child, whatever. I like warrior Jesus, okay? I like, I went on a trip this week, lad and dad, a lot of fun. You should go, take your grandson with you, take your kid with you, whatever. Even if they're adults, you should go to lad and dad and have a good time. It's one night, and I will tell you, we prayed really hard because what do you do without mom around if something goes wrong? You know what I'm saying? It was just lad and dads, and it was four lads, and four dads, and four lads, and we had a really great time. And I wish I could have taken all my boys and we're all old enough yet, but one of the things that we talked about there was about, about trying to lean into Jesus more, because what I noticed in the very beginning is what a lot of us do. We try to act like we kind of got it down, you know what I mean? And as soon as we see somebody seeing through the veneer, we get real nervous about it, you know what I'm saying? People see like, oh, they don't have it all together, ooh, you know, they're going to see me. We get all stressed out about it. Well, here's what we ended up seeing is that we don't have it together, but the more we repent before our children, the more we are confessional before our children, the more they see how great Jesus is, and the more he gets the glory. And we saw dads dancing. How many times have you seen dads dancing? We saw dads dancing and singing before the Lord. I know you can't do that here. You just do it at camp. You know what I mean? We're in Baptist. It only happens at camp. But they were dancing before the Lord. We had a good time. We had a really great time. But here's the, the warrior Jesus that draws my heart and that I'm trying to teach my boys about. Not my girls too, but my boys really seem to pick up on this. I want you to turn in Revelation 19. That's where we're going to end our time. Revelation 19. And while you're turning there, let me just say there's going to be some things you don't like. You're like, well, I love Scripture. I love Jesus. Yeah, but you may not like the fact that it looks like he's got a tattoo on his leg. I'm for real. It looks like it's there. He's got a big sword. He takes people out. He's got a lot of things going for him in a powerful way. He's got a, a robe dipped in blood, his own blood, and the blood of those he takes down, it looks like. Listen to this. Verse 6 and on. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's us, brothers and sisters. You get it? Like That fine linen we're clothed with, the righteous deeds, that's all predicated upon Jesus' fine deeds of dying for us on the cross when he was perfect and we were not. And he clothes us in his righteousness so that we are seen as pure so we can be in relationship with God, not by our own works, but by his work, right? And right here we see verse 9, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God, he says. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here we go. You ready? Ready? Thank you. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. It wasn't trigger, but like that. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now that is a warrior king. That is someone that deserves worship and glory and exaltation. That is power. This man can ride on a horse and a sword comes out his mouth and takes down everyone in his way. And what he calls for us to do is to give the grace and mercy of Christ that's already been given to us so that the ones that he has to take out that don't believe in him are fewer in number than they would have been otherwise. You see, because on that day, it's too late. On that day, time is done. The people that could be saved will no longer have an opportunity And we are the only ones that have the means to give that salvation. We have the good news about Jesus, that he loved us so much that he would come here and live the life we could not live, to die the death that we deserve so that we could be brought into his family, not because we deserve it, not because we'll pay him back, not because we were ever going to be good enough, but because he is powerful, he is hope. He is worth it in the riches that he is because he is good, because he is great, because he deserves glory and worship and exaltation and adoration and everything that can be deserved. He deserves it all. He and he alone deserves that. So man, what if we would worship him like that and give him to as many others as we could so that more and more might be a part of that voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of many mighty peals of thunder. Man, what would it look like? It would change everything about who we are. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm trying to lead you to worship, to worship. And now we're going to take a moment after I pray, and we're going to worship through the Lord's Supper. We get to, he loves us so much. He didn't just give us words. He gave us something we participate in to see the good news about Jesus, the gospel. And we're going to do that. And then we're going to sing of his goodness. Let me pray for us now. Father, I ask for your help. Give us the hope. Let us see the value of the riches of the glorious inheritance, of your inheritance. And Lord, let us experience the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to your great might that you have worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead. Lord, show us this, that we might know you and love you and worship you and bring others to you. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.